Opulent Inventory, our proud partners here on the show. Now you can finally have the Apple product times the Apple guys. That's right, from AirPods to iPhones to MacBooks to Apple Watches to trade-ins and much more. Now you can have the Apple product of your dreams. Promo code podcast gets you 20% off. That's right, 20% off on any Apple item. Visit Opulent Inventory, Nash and Guardi. Those are great guys on all social media platforms and on Instagram. Now, let's head back to the show. And we are back here on the Sebi Podcast Radio Show, streaming live here on WNSC Radio March Madness Special, alongside my ride partner for about three years now, Michael Gray, Mike from the tri-state area. Uh, it's a big time in New York. Knicks are doing good, Nets are doing good, and I'm pretty sure you're doing good yourself, Mike. Yeah, definitely. It's a great time. And it's crazy when you think about it. So it's been almost three years. Man, time flies when you have fun doing your doing your thing and putting in the work, but um. No, it's a great time up here in New York. You know, the Knicks uh, got a big win last night against the Hatters. They're playing well. Brooklyn is one of the hottest teams in the league. Uh, we just had a couple of college basketball tournaments up here last week and, uh, and proved, very, proved to be very successful and entertaining. So, yeah, it's, it's going pretty good up here in the, in the Tri-State area, especially in New York City. How's, how's everything down there in Florida? Sunshine State. Every, everything good, man. They don't call it the Sunshine State for no reason. We are doing very well. Um, huge week, monumental week for me. Um, I was actually nominated as uh, one of the most prestigious uh, influencers here in the Orlando area. Uh, okay. Made it on the Lifetime Lifestyle magazine, so that was a big uh, accomplishment for me. It, it, it's those type of things, Mike. When you wake up in the morning and you do what you do, and you, you you get rewarded with these validations, you realize that this is this is why you were made for this. You know what I'm saying? So, um. Shout out to uh, Lifestyle Magazine for um, having me on there. I'm very much appreciative of that. Congratulations to, to that, brother. That's uh, you know we, one of the biggest keys in life and probably the, the greatest gesture and the greatest accomplishment we can all uh, have before we leave this earth is instilling and giving back to the youth and, and giving back to the communities and stuff like that because um, – that that's that that's a huge feat in and of itself. So to hear to hear you as one of the biggest influencers, uh, giving knowledge, soaking up, soaking up game, and giving it back to to the younger ones and to anybody who you know who who seeks it, that's that's impressive. And hats off to you, brother. And continue doing your thing. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Mom, my mom always said to leave this world with an impact, and so that's yeah. that's what I tried to do. That's what I tried to do. Got to make mama proud. <laughs> that's the, that's that's, that's the main thing there. With that being said, season three, episode 29 of our great show, our great radio show, Mike. First off, I know it's March Madness and the madness of March, but we got to start off with the NFL. Lots of teams making a lot of moves, big names, and none other than the New England Patriots, Mike. I mean, this team, Mike, in just in a span of 72 hours, they spent the most money they ever did in a two-decade span. Bill Belichick, Mike, going all out in on all of these free agencies we're talking godshot we're talking matthew judon 
Maybe he kind of overprayed for uh, Nelson Aguilar. Got him. He got Kendrick Bourne, adding weapons for uh, Cam Newton. And then we obviously know that um, Dwight, uh, uh, not Dwight, excuse me, um, Hightower is coming back, their leader on the middle linebacker for them. Uh, the heart and soul of the defense is coming back. J.C. Jackson, they signed him. He's second in the NFL last year, Mike, in interception. So this New England roster, I think Bill knew last year what his deficiencies were and said, you know what? It was kind of a slap on the face to see Tom win his seven. I think Bill had knew he had to – he was forced. He was forced, Mike. His hands was forced. He knew if he wanted to compete in the AFC East with, you know, Josh Allen, and we'll see what Miami does this year as well, or even in the AFC overall, along with the big boys of the Browns, the Chiefs, or the Baltimore Ravens, he had to do something. And I think, Mike – I, I think Belichick reconstructed this roster and they're trying to compete. They're trying to compete not only for the division, but for the conference. Yeah, absolutely. For a championship, you know, this, this team wants to get back to that winning formula and you, and you're right. Hats off to them for adapting. That that's what I, I love most about this process right now. We're saying with the Patriots is that they're adapting to what is presented in front of them. You know, you had a, a system in place for 20 years where you were doing the same thing, you know, everything was good and, and it was working. But now that that's gone, with, you know, with Brady and everything's broken up, now you have to do things a different way. And now you have to do something that uh, has been um, unprecedented in this locker room. You, you're not used to seeing Belichick dose out money. You're not used to seeing uh, the New England Patriots give long-term contracts to guys and dose out big money like this. This is, this is unprecedented territory for the Patriots. So they had to adapt. They had to try something new. And like you said, his hands were tied, and he he, he pulled he pulled the plug and pulled the strings, and they're making it happen. So, hats off to the Patriots. Uh, they're definitely looking to not only just be conference championships, but but looking to go even further and be Super Bowl contenders and real legitimate championship contenders. So these these moves they're making right now are steps in the right direction. It got you thinking, Mike. We always hear the the Patriot way, the Patriot way. This doesn't seem like the Patriot way. This seems like Belichick. And granted, he's forced. I mean, <laughs> uh, when you watch it on your couch, Tom Brady went his seventh on another team. You realize to yourself, like, you know, you only regret greatness when you when it's not there anymore, Mike. That that's how it always is. Ask the Cleveland Cavaliers with LeBron. You got to ask uh, the Bulls when <laughs> seeing Michael go to to the Wizards. You know, it, it you only witness and regret that when it's all said and done and it's all gone. And I think. You know, we're post the Brady era in New England. All things have kind of faded away. And there's still question marks, still question marks about how this team is going to look like. Is it going to be a, a, a running team? Is it going to be um, an aerial attack? Um, there's still question marks on quarterback play, although Cam Newton has been resigned. But it got you thinking, Mike, this isn't the Patriot way. But what I do like about these moves is Belichick is going back to basics, the trenches dominating, getting big-name guys and paying them big money to play on that defensive line, and then getting guys like Trent Brown and re-signing David Andrews on the offensive line. I think this New England team, they're going to be able to dominate the trenches on both sides of the ball, and then bringing in a guy like Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry to kind of go up the scene and to help in the run game. I think that's what you're going to see this New England offense look like. But you got to ask yourself, too, this isn't the typical Patriot way. Yeah, no, no, it's definitely not like like you know it, this. These are 
these aren't the usual Patriot times either. So, you know, they're, they're not used to coming off seven to nine seasons. So sometimes when, when you're so accustomed to doing something a certain way and then all of a sudden, you know, the times have changed and the results that, that you're used to getting, you're not getting them anymore. You have to adapt and you have to change your philosophy and how you do things. And that's exactly what you're seeing from the Patriots right now with the moves that they're making and stuff. And and, to, and and another point on the moves that they're making, they're not done, Sebi. Don't be surprised if they get another quarterback to, to, to duel uh, with Cam in training camp. I'm not saying somebody that's light years ahead of them and, and, and is going to overtake him, but somebody in there that's going to make him work consistently every day and, 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 and compete mm-hmm. at a high level and keep his, his, his skills sharp on, on, on a day-to-day basis, week-to-week. So uh, I, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to seeing which quarterback they bring in to compete with Cam, but uh, there's still some moves to be made on this team, but I like where they're headed. Absolutely there. Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith, they picked up the best two tight ends to me in the free agency market. And now you bring up the quarterback, which is always an issue. Their draft, they pick at 14. And um, it seems, you know, scouts have said that New England just loves this Alabama quarterback. They they, they really do. They love Mac Jones. Um, they remind him of a similar traits intangibles like Brady but are they going to pick him up at 14 Mike or if they get if for some reason Justin Fields slides at 14 I don't think he will um maybe you pick him up there or, or, or maybe Zach Wilson from BYU at 14 what would you what would you think that New England goes to uh Matt Jones is a a quarterback that you know has very high IQ and he's somebody that could fit well within the Patriots system, depending on the weapons and that the, the final structure of the weapons that, that they have on that team. But the Patriot way, per se, and the Patriot prototypical quarterback is somebody that um, they could mold for the future. Like Cam is somebody we know is going to be for the short term. We're not, we're, we're, not, we're not expecting him to be there for years and years to come. But you, you can develop somebody like a Mac Jones um, uh, behind him and have him work and compete. And then in a couple of years later, this this could be his franchise because the, the, that's that's how good of a quarterback he is. But he just needs a couple of years to develop before he can become that full time starter. But he would be the, a a perfect prototypical quarterback for them. If 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 Cam has true success in this system as a dual threat quarterback, I wouldn't be surprised if they do draft a dual threat quarterback like a a Zach Wilson or a Trey Lance or somebody like that, just to see like how. How how that might work with the cam like and that, how we can bring that system after cams on you know so I wouldn't be surprised it really depends on which direction they want to go to but I wouldn't be surprised if they go Matt Jones and stay prototypical quarterback or if they go with the dual threat quarterbacks and Lance or Wilson yeah it's going to be very interesting uh, Josh McDaniels likes those prototypical quarterbacks obviously he's been with Brady for years but yeah. obviously we know what trend the league is going to it's yeah, going with versatility. Sir. Pistol option, read formation. If Fields, Trey Lance, or BYU's quarterback, uh, Zach Wilson is there, you might want to take a look at that. I think they will go quarterback. I just don't know who, Mike. <laughs> that's right. that's going to be the mystery for the New England Patriots at 14. Other big news, Mike, in free agency. Will Fuller, uh, the longtime ex-Texan. We know a debacle that the Texans are. Miami Dolphins pick him up. You pairing up Devontae Parker along with Will Fuller, maybe that's some of the added weapons that Tua Tagovailoa might need for him to shine in South Beach. Absolutely. It's a, it's a huge piece because all, because defensively, we know how lethal this team is as a total package. But offensively, they just got a lot better with Will Fuller. Will Fuller is an intermediate receiver. He can go down the field. He can go over top of you and make big plays. He's like he's really an all-around receiver. And 
paired up, paired up with, with, with some other weapons out there in Miami, he, he's going to make some things happen. And this could be the jump that Tua needs uh, as far as a, a, a top receiver to, you know, you know help, help, help take the top off the defense a little bit. Right, right. Definitely there. Other teams that haven't made a, a move yet, which is quite interesting to me, the Indianapolis Colts. The Indianapolis Colts, we know how great their defensive, especially up front, led by DeForest Buckner, who all he did in his first season, Mike, went all pro. <laughs> the guy is unbelievable. Yeah. And then that mean offensive line that they got led by Quentin Nelson. But you bring in Carson yeah. Wentz uh, to pair up with Frank Wright. Last time Frank Wright and Carson Wentz were together, that was his MVP campaign before he got hurt with the Eagles, which ultimately won their first title in franchise history now you pair him back again but you need weapons you you really do paris campbell's there obviously second year guy out of miami but you're getting the aging ty hilton who's banged up with a lot of injuries and stuff like that so they are a run first team with marlon mack and and seb hines so i'm thinking they gotta get a guy for for carson wentz on the outside do they have uh, this, this is the thing for me with the Colts. The Colts, see, it's, it's certain teams in the league that feel like they have to adjust and they have to continuously make different moves season by season because, you know, continue to reshuffle the lineup because they, they, they're not sure and they're not guaranteed on the product. But the Indianapolis Colts are one of those teams where they just have to stay the course. Like, when you look at this roster from top to bottom, there's not too many weaknesses on this team when you go position from position. I mean, they, they have weapons all over the field. They have leadership all over the field. They have a nice mix of veteran leadership and young, hungry talent. So this this Indianapolis Colts team is one of those teams where I don't feel like they needed to make any as many huge offseason moves outside of getting Carson Wentz. They just had to get healthy. I mean, when you think about Malik, Malik Hooker, their starting safety last year was out for the season, and he was a huge loss for them. Now, granted, the defense didn't take that much of a drop-off, but imagine how good they would have been had he stayed in the line. It's just certain, certain teams like the Colts, they're one of the few teams in the league who I feel like didn't need to make that many uh, big moves because top to bottom, they just needed to get that quarterback. And once they got the quarterback, we we, we depending on how well Carson Wentz plays and how they use him, we'll see the full maximum potential of this Indianapolis Colts team. Yep, absolutely there for sure. Speaking of the Colts, they're in division rivals. The Tennessee Titans, they made a big splash mark on the defensive line. They picked up the Steelers' Bud Dupree. Interesting because mm. the Pittsburgh Steelers didn't want to pay Bud Dupree. Not sure why, yeah. but the Titans pick him up. Now he's in Mike Vrabel's system defensively with the Titans, and we knew how desperate the Titans needed some defensive help, letting guys like Joel Casey leave and some of these other uh, big guys. So this is a big need and a big need that the Titans needed because they needed a guy that can win one-on-one on the outside and get home with, uh, with pressure. It's a big win for the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, for sure. Uh, adding depth to that defensive line, who's who, who already plays pretty stout, especially in the run game, uh, in, in particular. So this was this was a huge win for them. The Tennessee Titans, uh, you know, lo- losing some key players gave them some opportunity to to to, to pay off Bud Dupree like that. You know, but he was somebody in Pittsburgh that was, you know, for the early part in his career, he was hit and miss. But he really picked it up the last couple of years, especially last year, having probably arguably his best season as a Steeler last year. So. He, it was it was going to be tough for him. They didn't want to pay. It was going to be tough for them to pay him because of all the other moves that they're trying to make as a team, money wise. But um, it, I, I'm happy he was able to get his money somewhere else because like, he's he's a hell of a player. He's only he's only going to get better. Absolutely, there for sure. Other sneaky, sneaky, sneaky good and underrated picks. The Pat Patrick Peterson, long time uh, ex uh, Arizona Cardinal corner 
We know how electrifying he is and, and great at what he does. He is finding a new home in Minnesota to go out there and play uh, uh, along with Daniel Hunter and along with some of these great defensive players that they have, uh, Kendricks and Anthony Barr uh, as well. So great move for Minnesota. They needed some secondary help, especially losing um, Alexander the year before and Xavier Rhodes um, to the Indianapolis Colts. Now they bring in Adi, uh, Peterson, obviously a vet, um, and also – now the Arizona Cardinals, they pair up DeAndre Hopkins with A.J. Green, who's been only productive for the Bengals. But let's be honest, Mike, the Bengals weren't really going anywhere. Now you pair A.J. with DeAndre for Tyler Murray. Two sneaky teams, I think, that got better that not a lot of people talking about. Yeah, no, definitely. First, I'll start with the Minnesota Vikings getting Patrick Peterson. Not only do you add... A uh, huge veteran piece. You add more, like you said, more depth to that to that position, you know, along with Harrison Smith. You know, guys like that, Trey Wayans and others. So this this secondary got some more added veteran leadership uh, to to their roster. So that that's going to help a lot. But for also for the Arizona Cardinals getting AJ Green, I said, I was surprised that um, that some other teams weren't weren't done and beating on his door. But Mike, he's got a lot of football left. He's got, he's got I think a, he, people he, he tend to forget how good this guy really is. Yeah. 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 When you think about the fact that he only took a one year, $8 million contract, I'm like, come on, that. Like, I'm looking at my New York football giants. Like, we didn't have eight, get him and you didn't have eight million to throw away. You could have just gave it to him real quick. You know, so it's just, it's a lot of, it's a lot of teams I think missed out on AJ Green. They forgot how good he is because he hasn't been that elite top five receiver in a, in a few years. So I think with the injuries and things like that in Cincinnati, People forgot how good he can be, but but in this offense, I, this is going to be a reminder. Uh, him signing this one year deal is going to be a reminder for people, and just how good he is because he's gonna he's gonna get a lot of free opportunities uh, be, be, with all the attention going to DeAndre. Absolutely, and especially in Cliff K- Kingsbury's offense, air rated offense, you're gonna have a lot of weapons. Fitzgerald, I mean, you've got Hopkins now. You've got AJ Green. <laughs> at one time, Mike, all these three guys were in the top five at their positions, and, and yep. if. They can just get if they can just get. Uh, I I think, you know, I, I still think AJ has a lot of football to play. But if he can be a a primary secondary option on a championship team and let DeAndre, um, who's entering his prime, be the guy, I think he could definitely help Kyler Murray. And I think Kyler Murray only gets better, um, in Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury's offense. So watch out for Arizona in that, in, in that NFC West and the NFC West, where I think is the best division in football. We talked about how lethal this offense could be last year when, when they added Hopkins to this team and some other pieces. But, man, when you think about this offense this year, this offense could be even better than what they were this year. We, Sebi, I don't know about you, but I don't feel like Arizona really fully tapped into their full potential offensively last year. Right. Now, now if they if they learn from learn from their mistake, that experience is last year and come into this year and they add A.J. Green, oh, man, I feel like this, this is the year this offense really can mature and evolve and turn into – you know, that offense we expect them to be. Yep, and the defense is really catching up to what yeah. they're doing yeah. as well. Simon Simmons in the linebacker and also how great Buda Baker is on that team in the back end. Um, other big key players that's still out there, Kenny Galladay. It's been reported, Mike, he wants anywhere between 18.5 to $20 million per year. Uh, he is rated the very best wideout still in the free agency market. Lots of teams are still out there. I'm still thinking the England Patriots. You pay 
uh, Nelson Aguilar that big money. <laughs> Kenny Galladay was right there. I don't know why he didn't go with them. But um, a lot of teams are still wanting in. But is this guy really worth upwards to $20, 22000000 million a year, Mike? This 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 is a question because you you know Seth you know I love my Giants and my Giants are one of the few teams that's on his list of potentially you know you know signing with and we actually uh, he actually had a meeting with the New York Giants uh, last last night and um, you know apparently it went well and stuff so we'll see how it goes from moving forward but this guy is is no joke he I mean he's a deep ball threat he he's got nice speed nice hands the question a lot of people have is the injury that took place last year that that, that kept him sidelined a little bit so you know that 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 injury alone is 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 potentially holding him back a little bit but as far as his play on the field he's worth he's worth he's a number one receiver he's worth the money he's somebody that I want to come to New York uh Bill Belichick signed Nelson had got all that money hopefully he was throwing his guy Joe Judge a bone for New for the New York so he can go, come to the New York Giants uh I feel like he would be the perfect number one receiver for the Giants to help not only for the um you know the other signs that they have getting uh Mason Rudolph Oh, excuse me, Kyle Rudolph, excuse me, from the Minnesota Vikings in a two-year deal. Still having Evan Ingram, still having Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, and a, a healthy Saquon Barkley coming back. A number one receiver will help Saquon tremendously because you saw how good of a rookie year he had when Odell Beckham Jr. was still on the Giants. This number one receiver, Kenny Galladay, will be perfect in New York City. And uh, a couple other teams he, he could work with, but I feel like he would be perfect right now in New York City. And if I'm the Baltimore Ravens, this is the reason why you guys lost last year in a lot and weren't as dominant as you were a year ago in that 14 and two season. Now let's be honest. It, it's hard for a team to get 14 wins every year. If you win, if you get anywhere between 13 and upwards to 14, 15 wins a season, I mean, you, you're just really good. But the problem was, and we saw this against Buffalo, Baltimore didn't have a one-on-one -on -one receiver that could just win man-to-man -man coverage on the outside. Uh, you know, they've got some great guys. Willie Sneed is very good, but the days of Des Bryant being that guy is over. So Kenny Galladay had to be a guy that, you know, Marty Morningwig and Lamar Jackson is asking that we need to get, obviously. When you look at the AFC, all the great quarterbacks have a number one. Josh Allen has Stephon Diggs. We know uh, 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 has Travis Kelsey and those guys. Right? Even Baker has... Um, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. and Travis Landry. If you want to compete, you got to have a number one guy. And the Ravens, this is their championship window. I think they're a team that has to has to make a move for running that ball like he's been doing. Yeah, no, some weapons in Baltimore would be scary. That that would be scary for the league, and um, it's something that needs to happen now because Lamar Jackson. The time for him to have to maximize his potential and to get uh, the best out of him is this year because this is a contract year for him. This is a big year for Lamar Jackson. He needs all hands on deck. He needs a full roster, um, a full healthy roster at his disposal and to go out there to make plays and make it happen because um, this is huge for him. So getting a number one receiver in Baltimore yep. would be Absolutely, big. absolutely there for sure. The Ravens got to get Lamar some weapons and not have him run there for sure. Any other big marquee news in the free agents that we're not thinking about or that, that we haven't mentioned, Mike? Uh, the Bang the Bengals, they signed ex-Vikings um, uh, tackle. Yes, uh, they Reed. did. Riley Reed. 
and uh, you made, made some amazing. That's that's nice for him, you know, trying to get protection for Joe Judge. We know how you know a lot of scrutiny scrutiny that Cincinnati got got this past season with the Joe Judge injury as far as protection for him. So I, I, we knew that in the offseason they were going to make sure that offensive line was one of their first priorities. So that was a huge pickup. Like I said, my New York football giant, they signed uh, Kyle Rudolph and the Minnesota Vikings on a three-year deal. Yes, that's a great pickup. About, about yeah. seeing that. That's a huge pickup. I was I was intrigued with that. You know, the Dolphins signing uh, Jacoby Brissett to a one-year deal. You know, there's a couple other places. Juju Smith-Schuster yeah. is returning to Pittsburgh on a one-year one deal. I think that's smart, Sevy. I think that's smart, him signing the one-year deal, because the, the market is going to reset and it's going to go up. So when he does get that value, this is the year to prove that he's a number one receiver, if not only to the Steelers, but to the rest of the league uh, to move forward. So the, yep, those absolutely are there for sure. And then, of course, we'll see what happens with Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson. No uh, major moves on those guys yet. Um, but those are uh, little things yeah. to come and keep to watch out there for sure. But when we come back, we talk about what March really is about. And it's the madness that is the NCAA tournament. Mike and I make our final four picks and discuss some early upsets that we see uh, in this year's bracket. The Sebi Podcast Radio Show. It's only streaming and heard here on WNSC Radio. We are back here on the Set Me Podcast radio show. Our second segment here today, March Madness, Mike. And uh, we looked at the brackets, 68 teams, but there can only be one national title and one national champion. Headlined by the Zags. Undefeated season. They're trying to be the first team since 75 and 76 Indiana. And guess who was on that team? Larry Bird and the Indiana State team. They went unbeaten. They're trying to be the first team to do that. Kentucky got close. In 2015, before losing to Wisconsin in that Final Four, the Carl Anthony team, they lost. That was the uh, that was the closest team, Mike. At that time, they were 38 and 0 before leave, losing in that Final Four. So Gonzaga is trying to have a historic run, but in their way, Mike, some solid teams, some solid teams in their way. Houston, out of the AAC, Baylor. And, of course, Oklahoma State, Texas, and Texas Tech, all in the Big 12. We've got West Virginia as well in the Big 12. Um, some other big teams as well. Alabama from the SEC, Arkansas from the SEC. So, in their way, there's a lot of competition there, despite being a down year for all the Blue Bloods. So, Mike, when you look at this bracket here, obviously, who, who, does it, who do you see really favoring um, out of these top teams? Out of the top number one seeds, I love the poise and the competitive nature of Illinois and Baylor. Gonzaga as well, too, to some degree. Um, however, I question whether or not Gonzaga is a true number one at times. Because when you when you when when you when you think about the competition that they played throughout the season, have they truly been test battle tested and prepared and ready for the competition they're getting ready to face here in this tournament? I mean, that's the, that, that's the question that's been raising my eyebrows all season long when I see them continuously dominate the teams in their, in their, in their subpar division, in their subpar conference, excuse me. So uh, it's, 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 some, it's a team like Illinois who's been through the works, 
been going through some tough teams and uh and, and took it and took advantage of that opportunity, especially in the uh in the conference championship. Uh so Illinois is one of those teams, Baylor's one of those teams. I feel like Baylor's gonna be heavily motivated. Uh I see them I see them going far, but not not all the way to the final four, but they're one of the teams I see potentially going far because of, you know, the fact that they lost. They they lost to Oklahoma State last week. So Baylor and Illinois are two of the top teams, and I really like this Texas team as well. I see, see this Texas team. Really yeah, you far. do there as well. Um, Jericho and also Matt Coleman the third. They really put on a show in that Big 12 tournament um, championship game against Oklahoma State. Yeah, for you. And I agree with you, Illinois. Illinois, for me, they they pass all – they check all the boxes to me, Mike. Um, this guy, Ayo Desumu. Unbelievable, Mike. Elite, elite first step. We're talking NBA ready, elite first step. Um, they've got and they're very deep. Corbello can shoot the three. We know about Tim Fraser. We know what he could do. All he did with the absence of a Desumu being hurt, he lit up uh, a Jawan Howard's Michigan team in Ann Arbor. So I love this 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 team here. They've got a big man who's a, who stands about six eleven inside and Coffee Cockburn. My buddy and I, we make funny, we make fun of this guy because he has a name, Coffee, and and I joke around with my buddy and says that his name is Coffee because he runs, he plays off caffeine. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I really love this this Illinois team. I, I think they are Final Four ready. They've checked all the boxes. They really put a beat down on Drexel today, Mike. I mean, obviously on paper, yeah. they're supposed to do what they're supposed to do, but I mean, suffocating defense, suffocating. I love Illinois. Um. And I think this also bodes well for Baylor as well. Um, the Baylor Bears, um, you know, Davion Mitchell, Jared Butler, um, and, you know, they're, they're two-way players. They, they impact the game on defensive end as well. So I think Baylor and Illinois as the one number one seeds, they, their, their bracket really favors them as well. Yeah, Baylor, watch out for Masio Teague as well. He's one of those players that they can really uh, make some noise. It really can be a huge S X factor for them in this tournament. So, um, you know, they're going against Harper right now. So, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But, yeah, Baylor is one of those things yep. for me as well. They are. They are playing Hartford as well. And as it stands right now, the Baylor Bears are up three. A very shocker. In a, definitely locked in in a defensive tilt there um, in that game. Some early upsets. Uh, it, it's it's crazy, Mike, because you really can't say it's an upset. You've got an 11 seed Syracuse, um, that's going up in, against a six seeded, um, uh, six seeded San Diego State team out of the Mountain West Conference, and, and then you've got Georgetown, who's red hot. I mean, is there anybody hotter right now at the right time than the the Hoyas right now? They're an 11 seed, but to me, I think they're the better team. I I I can't really say that that's a for sure underdog or a massive upset. Now, the one that I've got my eyes on is Winthorpe. I think Winthorpe can beat Villanova today. We saw Villanova in the Big East, Mike. They just haven't been themselves. They've been very up and down, especially without Colin Gillespie. And, um, yeah, they are not – they're not the same. I can sense an upset there for Winthorpe. But other than that, I, I can't really say there's a lot of – a lot of upsets today even george georgia tech georgia tech the lower seat against loyola chicago but we really believe a guy a team from the missouri valley conference is better than georgia tech out of the acc in fact they won the acc tournament over over sure uh, florida state so I, I don't i don't know i don't know if there's definitively a lot of upsets early on mike 
I don't see too many upsets, but I don't look at – see, that's the thing. An 11-6 matchup like that, I don't look at that in today's game. That's not too much of an upset to me anymore. You know, the, the standard of upsets have definitely dropped tremendously as years have gone on. And, you know, the way I look at the way I look at things, you know, 11-6, that, 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 that's a very good competitive matchup. And a lot of these times when you talk about Georgetown and some of those teams – that got hot in the, the latter part of the regular season and into the tournament, a lot of the times it's not really about who's the better overall team on paper. It's about who's that playing, who's the best team, who's playing the best basketball at that time. And right now it's not too many teams in the country playing better basketball than Georgetown. Now, obviously, they have struggles at times scoring the basketball, but defensively they're, 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 they're showstoppers and they play an old school brand of basketball through the bigs and so forth. So that that team alone and their style of play is a lot different from a lot of the other teams in college basketball right now and how they, how they facilitate and orchestrate their offense. So because they have a different style of play and they're playing so elite on the defensive side, that's a, a team that, you know, even if they go and beat Colorado, I don't see that as being a big upset because of how great they're playing. Yep, leading up to agreed, that agreed. Absolutely there as well. Ohio, Ohio out, out of the um, Ohio Valley uh, Conference, they they are a team that I think Virginia needs to keep an eye out for tomorrow. Um, you know, Virginia, you know, they're always going to be excellent defensively, especially under Tony Bennett, um, who's been a great defensive coach for years. But Ohio can really put the ball on the floor and guard play. We know how big guard play is come tournament time. I think that's a game that they really need to keep an eye out for um, for tomorrow. But other than that, I mean, you got VCU against Oregon. I can easily see VCU winning that game, although Oregon is, uh, you know, the Pac-12 uh, uh, champions. Um, so it's not a lot of not a lot of not a lot of um, big upsets, Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't see a lot of them either. Um, you know, you when you think about when you think about some of these, some of these teams, it's 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 so competitive now. It's so competitive. Like you know, you watching that. I was watching the, the Drake Wichita State game yesterday. You know, the, the, that game was back and forth, and, and it came down to the one point. You know, it was a, it was Drake continuously came back after being down down by a lot. Like these teams, it's all about runs. Like you said, it's guard play, but it's it's such a a run-driven league. It's, it's all about you know who who goes on the hottest runs, who goes on these these cold streaks uh, through through these long stretches. It, it's it's all about pacing, pacing, perseverance, and we're going to see a lot of that through this tournament with these players because there's a lot of confidence on on, on the court, especially from these uh, mid-major, low, lower-level schools. Yep, absolutely, there for sure. And that actually brings us now to where we stand and who we think is going to win the tournament. I've got my final four, Mike. I've got Alabama. Um, coming out of Michigan's um, region. I just think Michigan, they haven't been themselves the last six games where I don't know if it's the toll and the grind of the Big Ten. And that will do it for you, Mike. The Big Ten, the best conference in college basketball. But I think they re it really took a toll on Joan Howard's team. Isaiah Liver's been in and out. I don't like the way that they've limped um, into this tournament. I like Alabama. Mike, if there is a team that can get hot from the three-point line, Alabama's the team you do not Alabama, want to face. Yep. They got this guy named Herb Jones inside who's a stretch four, and he's big time. I, I like Alabama from their region. Illinois, I think they run the table there as advertised in their region um, for the right things that I said. Ayo Dusumu is a problem. Um, they've, they, they, they've got guys as well that can step up like Fraser and Corbello, and then inside you have to deal with Coffee Cockburn. I think Illinois is too much in their region. Um, this is interesting. I think the Zags, they're going to get tested in their region. 
They're going to get tested. You have Iowa in that region. I think they'll meet the Hawkeyes in the Elite Eight. But I think too much Drew Timmy and Jalen Suggs, who's probably going to be a top five pick, and then Corey Kisper, an All-American. I think the Zags get it done despite a big game I'm expecting for Luka Garza. And then lastly, I've got uh, the Baylor Bears. I think they've been battle-tested, Mike. You play in the Big Ten, the Big 12, you you play the likes of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas, Texas Tech, West Virginia. I think it prepares you for a tournament like this. And so um, they're led by upperclassmen and juniors and seniors. And I think the Baylor Bears make it to the Final Four as well. I've got the Illinois fighting Illini meeting the Zags in the final. And Gonzaga will not go unbeaten, Mike. It will be Illinois that ends up as the national champions. Mm, I, I, I love it. That's a great pick, man. Our final fours are similar except for the middle. I mean, our number one seeds are something I got Gonzaga. I got, I got, I got Gonzaga and Baylor. I feel like um, the, the two Texas teams are the other teams that round up my final four, the Texas and Texas Tech. You know, those are two teams I feel like, like you said, for, for all the reasons you, you mentioned, battle-tested. Texas Tech has been very battle-tested. I feel like they've learned from some of the experiences and some of the late-game uh, lapses that they had, I feel like they learned from that, and they and they can potentially get on the high streak, especially after picking up a big win today. Um, so it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see potentially. And then the, for the for the actual championship game, I actually had the two Texas teams representing the championship, and I have Texas as my winner uh, for the national. Wow, championship what game. would that be? Shaka Smart taking another program to the final four and actually winning that would be huge. Wouldn't we like that, Mike? Our brother actually getting a chance to win. Uh, national title that would be great the last guy to do that was who kevin ollie of the yukon huskies so that would be great um to see that um there as well but when we come back we'll close with the nba the sebi podcast radio show live inside studio z Back here inside Studio Z, our closing segment here on the Sebi Podcast Radio Show. The NBA, now obviously March, <laughs> it's obviously going to overtake the NBA because of ratings on March Madness. But the association definitely has a lot of things to provide for us. Last night, we saw LaMelo Ball first time going up against LeBron James. Um, crazy time, crazy thing. LaMelo's never faced LeBron ever in his career um, although the Hornets fell short of a win last night in Staples Center, but the experience, the experience of going against some of these elite guys that, you know, Lamelo seen growing up bodes well for them um, in the NBA. Your thoughts on that, Mike? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I love this quote because he said, you know, he grew up in L.A. He was a he was a Kobe guy. You know, he idolized Kobe and, and his father. So I, I love this answer. I mean, I'm not surprised. Everybody in L.A. during that time, you know, you you idolized Kobe. You love what he brought to the game. If you were in L.A., he was he was basketball god in your ass. So, 
you know, I wasn't surprised with his answer. Um, you know, it, 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 he he treated it, it, it as another game, but it, I mean, come on now, you can't you can't tell me it's not at least somewhat kind of cool to play against LeBron James, especially your first time out there being on the court against him. I'm sure throughout the game, you know, it was moments where he was like, "Wow, that that's pretty dope," but you know, he didn't come into the game with a whole bunch of you know hoopla and how you know it just he's an, he's an, he's he's another man at the end of the day. Yep, absolutely there. Uh, for sure. When you talk about the Brooklyn Nets, you spoke about it uh, two segments ago, how hot they are, Amari, red hot. Yeah. Um, and obviously, it sucks to see Joel Embiid go down like that. Um, he was my front runner MVP um, up to that point. But now, it's seemingly, Mike, I don't think that he should be out of this race, but it opens the door for like, for guys like Nikola Jokic, for James Harden, and we know what he's cooking up there in Brooklyn. And of course, LeBron James, Still trying to capture his fifth MVP uh, uh, honors, and so as it stands right now, the Brooklyn Nets—they're red hot. Kyrie Irving as well is putting on a show, the showstopper that he is. He's all box office. The Brooklyn Nets—it's it, it, interesting. Mike, would would James Harden be the front runner here, or could it be Kyrie? Or do you see themselves canceling each other out? I see, I see, I see James Harden being the front runner because of the all around game and what he, and how you know his style of playing and. and how he's impacting winning in Brooklyn right now so fast with what he's doing. So I would give Brooklyn as the head nod. Kyrie, what Kyrie is doing is, is in the MVP conversation this year because of how sensational he's been. And he's actually been the one player who's played the most games for them. So he, he's definitely he's definitely in the conversation. But James Harden would be the front runner for me right now. You're absolutely right about Joel Embiid, but I do disagree that he 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 has no no shot at the MVP anymore, or, or his chances are that done. Because depending on how Philly looks without him, could 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 really be a huge impact for me. And when he comes back, how dominant he looks. Because if Philly doesn't look, starts to have a major drop off without him, and we're starting to see a slippage in play, then then that puts him back in play, and he can just come back and be his dominant self. So we'll see we'll see how it looks. So um, and it also depends on what his contemporaries are doing as well. But James Harden right now, um, with Embiid out, is the front runner for me. Uh, Embiid is in the conversation. Damian Lillard is in the conversation. Guys like that. So it's a tight race for sure. LeBron's in the conversation as well. So it's a tight race. Definitely a tight race there for sure. There's a story out there, Mike, that obviously Steph has never played with LeBron James. We know that they both are Akron guys from Ohio. Both were born in the same hospital. But they've never played on a court with each other until the All-Star game. And there's news because Steph Curry is about set to be a free agent in the <laughs> summer of 2022. So there's a story that perhaps Steph may go to the Lakers or LeBron may join him in forces in uh, San Francisco. So what do you make of this, Mike? Hey. Um, is this just way out of bounds? Or, oh, yeah, or would this just not be unfair? Cancel basketball if Steph Curry and LeBron James were ever on the same team together. It's over. That's not even right. a competition. It's not even a, a, a question. I wouldn't even entertain that. I don't see it happening. I don't see the NBA doing it because as an NBA brand, they would always want those two star players going against each other. I don't think – I don't see a scenario where the NBA would want them on the same team. So, now I, I don't see it. They, they'd pull a Chris Paul and Kobe Bryant on yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> even though that was different commissioners, still the NBA would find a way not to let this happen. And as true competitors, I don't see neither one of them wanting to play on the same team. I feel like those finals matchups that they had, as yeah. competitive as they were back and forth, they 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 respect each other's greatness and want will relish at those moments of going at each other. So nah, I don't I don't see that being a scenario. 
I agree. Man. Was, if this were to happen, you could cancel cancel culture. Right? Like can't NBA would be completely over. We saw what Steph did with Kevin Durant. Can you imagine what he does with LeBron James? The spacing, oh. the spacing that Steph would open up the floor for LeBron James to get to the rim. Oh, oh my that that, that would be ridiculous, man. That would be ridiculous. ridiculous. That, that would be Joker. ridiculous. That would be nearly unbelievable and impossible to even worry about. Um uh, uh, so I don't know. I don't know where they got that idea from. You, you know, it's it's all popular. It's probably it's probably it's probably a slow day in headlines and people just looking for something to, you know, go go crazy about. But I just I don't see it, man. But plus, plus they did look good in the All Star game together for the little bit of time that they were out there together. They did look pretty good. You know, they did. So, they did. They look very good, Mike. <laughs> I'm I'm with you. I, so I guess I guess that. it does have you fantasizing a little bit. You know, I would not. I would not want to see that. Thing, you know? I would not want to see that. Yeah. It would be raps. It would be raps there for sure. I would not want to see that as well. We know free agency deadline is coming up soon, March 25th. That is going to set for next. Uh, Thursday at 4 p.m. Which teams and which contenders are set to make big moves? They've already been splashes. P.J. Tucker being yes. a member now of the Bucks, a guy that my Boston Celtics wanted. And I thought that he'd look good in green. The only problem is, Mike, is I didn't think that he'd look good in dark green. And he ended up in Milwaukee. So now you pair that up with Giannis and with his defensive prowess there. Another guy that impacts the defensive end and helps you space the floor in the offensive end to hit corner three-point shots. Huge move by the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, it, it, it is a nice move for the Bucks, and it's a nice complimentary uh, spot up, especially corner three-point shooter that, that, that gives them another weapon. It's, and, and defensively, toughness-wise, P.J. Tucker is one of those guys that, you know, from a competitive standpoint, he's going to bring it every night, and he's going to get physical. And come play all time, he's really going to show his value and how much of a, how much of a true uh, asset he is. But at the same time, the Milwaukee Bucks go as Giannis goes. I mean, they can get as many complimentary role, role pieces as they want. At the end of the day, as the Milwaukee Bucks will go as far as Giannis will take them. And as, as if he continues to improve his game, develop that mid-range jump shot, continue to get better, and he starts to catch fire in a playoff run, that that's what's going to put this team over the hump. But I, I this P.J. Tucker move, Makes them slightly better, but Giannis is what's gonna is the only question we have for this team because we know how good they can be on the outside. But we, we, we just we just got to find out what Giannis we're gonna see in the playoffs. Well, I'm actually gonna go against that. I think the PJ Tucker thing is huge. When you're going up against teams like the Brooklyn Nets, you need size against KD. You need size against Harden. Uh, a problem that Milwaukee faced last year is when they faced a physical team like the Miami Heat. Jimmy Butler can get up in you. Right, you know, Bam Adebayo has the same. Kendrick Nunn. They've also got other guys, uh, Andre Iguodala. So you need guys on defensively that can switch one through five, and in Tucker's case, he can switch one through four. But more importantly, I think they need a point guard. That's that's been the biggest thing. Yeah. They need a guy to put the ball in his hands in the fourth quarter when it's the last yeah. two minutes of ball games, and that can create their shot. Is Drew Holiday that guy? There's they're well, hoping he is. It's set to be that. We have not yet seen that yet. So they're hoping and they're banking that that guy is. I'm still thinking they need a point guard. And even a point guard in the last two minutes of the ballgame where if you switch pick and roll, Giannis gets a mismatch or, you know, the point guard gets a mismatch on a big. And so I think that's the area of needs for Milwaukee. Jeremy Grant, hot commodity right now. 
um, during the uh, during the deadline right now for Detroit, Nikola Vucevic of the Orlando Magic. Absolutely. We've heard his name swirling around as well, um, and some other key big names like Lonzo Ball, Kyle Lowry. Mike, there's still a lot to be settled. It's still a lot to be settled. On Andre Drummond, we still don't know what team he's going to go to. You know, we hear rumors that the Miami Heat are one of the one of the uh, few teams that are heavily interested in acquiring Spencer Dinwiddie from the Brooklyn Nets. So it's it's, 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 it's definitely a few teams and a few more few more plays out there to be made before this deadline before this deadline comes up. So uh, I'm very interested in seeing interested in seeing how it plays out so we can get these final final rosters heading into the playoffs. And we can't forget about Victor Oladipo. Looks Oladipo, like Houston yeah. is ready for a rebuild, Mike. They're trying to build around Christian Wood and John Wall. I think they're looking to dump a lot of um, unneeded salaries, and that includes Oladipo. The Miami Heat has been a team that's looked at Depot. The, the, the Denver Nuggets, they're, they're saying that they want a backcourt of Jamal Murray and Depot rather than Gary Harris. So it's there's still a lot of things to be done. It's the, it definitely is, and we'll see, man. It's, it, it's got, playoff time is on the rise. We're going to see these players start to turn their intensity up, and it's, it's going to be major. I can't wait for it. And before we leave, Mike, we can't forget about Ant-Man, what he's doing in Minnesota, the number one overall pick. This guy, he's he's picked it up quick, just like LaMelo did. I thought it, it, took, it would take LaMelo a lot, a, maybe a few years or so to kind of get up to the speed of the NBA. But And I felt the same way about Anthony Edwards, but I thought that he was more polished, more NBA-ready. And boy, these last five meetings and <laughs> the last five contests, he's put on a show, a three-level score. He can get to the bucket, he can get to the rack, and you know what he does when he gets to the rack. He can beat you in the mid-range game, and he, now he's understanding that when he gets switches, he could shoot the three. Minnesota, I, I think they're, they're now starting to see that top overall pick start to blossom. Yeah, and, and time and patience is the key when you're talking about some of these rookies coming into the league. If we're going to take these kids and and, 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 and pretty, pretty much almost almost force them to go one year in college or one year wasn't fan, almost straight out of high school and get them get them at such a young age, then we have to be able to, to be patient with them and watch them develop on their own time. Certain, certain players develop quicker than others. Anthony Edwards is somebody that it took time for him to find his role and find his niche, not only on this team, but in this league and find, and, and find his style. And you're seeing in these five games, he's played more the most comfortable that he's played in it, uh, of the entire season. So we're starting to see that blossom. We're starting to see his full potential come come on display. And, and they're, they're actually getting some wins uh, along with it as well. So him being paired up with Cat, you know, it, it start, it's starting to blossom now. And I expect to see him get even better as, as the year moves forward. Absolutely. There for sure for the Minnesota Timberwolves, Mike. Your closing arguments for this evening. Yeah, definitely. And um, my clo- my closing argument is uh, is is about a story that that happened about almost a month ago, but it, it didn't get as much recognition as I feel like it should have. And it was about the, uh, the these Minnesota Timberwolves as we speak right now. Their, their current head coach coach um, they they fired they fired their head coach a month ago, uh, Ryan Saunders, and then they hired. Chris Finch. Now, usually when you get fired as a head coach, the assistant head coach takes the uh, the, the the lead job, uh, at least for for the remaining of the season or for some time until they hire a new coach. Well, they didn't do that. They immediately hired Toronto Toronto Raptors assistant head coach Chris Finch, and instead of letting David Vanderpool, who was the assistant head coach at the time, get a couple of games under his belt before he even gets a game, Chris Finch was uh, was hired. And uh, you know, it was a lot of 
of of, uh, of people that, especially around the league, who were disappointed in that in that state. And I wanted to just shed light on that on that and let, let let Minnesota know and everybody know in the sports world how how foul that that move was for David Vanderpool, who's well. Now I understand Chris Chris Finch is is qualified to be the head coach to be a head coach. But so is David Vanderpool. He's qualified enough to at least get a couple games under his belt, at least coach until the All-Star at least an game. interim, <laughs> as as an interim. You know what I'm saying? But until until you decide to make a decision, but the, it was no communication. It was it was handled wrong. Minnesota could have handled that a lot better, and um, it, it's, just, it's just unfortunate that they that they did that brother like that, who was well qualified to coach those games for them. So I wanted to shed light on that. Story. And to second on what you said, Mike, you said that story came out about. Uh, a month ago and didn't get a lot of publicity. I'm going to go about a story that happened about 24 hours ago. And that is for the NCAA women's tournament. Now, obviously it's not as big as the men's tournament and that takes all the headlines and stuff, but we can't ignore the women. We know how legendary the teams like Tennessee, UConn and all those uh, teams are, but the story, it comes from the locker rooms and, and the facilities. You look at all the men's, um, facilities, you know, they, they, they're all doing one bubble in Indianapolis, right? You, you see the men's facilities, they've got all the big weights, maximum, we're talking maximum space where they can have indoor gyms and practice. And you, you look at the women facilities and they're a little bit condensed and uh, it's very condensed and not the same fairness and treatness that, that we see with men and women and it, that narrative and that conversation comes again, Mike, equal pay. It's now it's now it's equal gym. Uh, they're not getting the, the proper necessary uh, equipment that they need to lift weights or, or, or the proper gym for the girls to. And I think that the NCAA really did a ball on this. We saw a lot of former, um, you know, collegiate players in the WNBA come out and, and speak on this um, as, as well as current uh, players now. Um, for the women's game that are participating in a tournament that talk about and they definitely spoke out to NCAA about their dissatisfaction on that and I think they really dropped the ball on that I, I think again Mike you know this is a this is a growing industry with with, with females this is a growing industry with women in, in this industry and if they can't get the same you know fairness and the same treatment as the men then Mike you got to look at yourself and say you're one of the problem as well. So I, I think the NCAA really dropped the ball on this one. Yeah, they definitely did. And I want to look more into the story. It's, it's something that I haven't uh, re researched enough. I want to go even deeper into it because uh, I, when I first heard it, it raised, the first question that raised, raised me was, how long has, has it been like this? You know, we're, we're setting the spotlight on it now, Sebi, but has, has the equipment rooms always been like this? Has the weight rooms always been like this? Has, has the gyms always been like this? Has the... You know, the facility and situation has always been, you know, uh, 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 less in dire situation for them. So I I, I was very curious to, to research and look this up. But this was definitely a disgusting act. It was uh, it was it was it, it, it was vile. It was vile. I didn't like I didn't like I didn't like to see that. I didn't like to see the the, the just just the, how off it was. Like you look, you look at all the equipment the brothers had, and then the sisters couldn't get any. Yeah, like, come on. That, that's, like it, was, it was terribly. That, that's that that that's terribly like, off. It wasn't even close. And, and and Mike, you can okay. speak about it, but when you see visuals on it, and you see like, wow, like, they, I mean, Mike, they had a kindergarten gym facility for the females, and I think that was they really dropped the ball on that. But yeah. Yeah. that concludes our show for today, the Sebi Podcast Radio Show. And we'll see you guys 
next week. Hey, everyone. We're excited just as much as you guys tonight if you enjoyed this show. And frankly, even some of our other episodes as well. If you want to show your appreciation for the show, ensure that you leave us a rating and a review in our iTunes and Spotify. And remember, you can stay locked in here and connected. Sebupodcast.info link for the latest news, articles, interviews, and much more. And remember, wherever you're listening on air or online, the Sebu Podcast is wherever you go.